This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 406, AI Lemmy. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Michael Rowe here on Friday for another exciting episode of GamesAtWork.biz. And this week, as most weeks, we're fully staffed with my friends and co-hosts and wonderful people all the way around to talk tech with. Let's start with you, Andy Piper. How the heck are you? I'm wonderful, apparently. Thank you so so much for saying that. I appreciate it. And you're <laughs> wonderful too, Michael. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm good. I've... I've <laughs> It's been a strange week of uh, AI-inspired confusion, so I'm looking forward to talking it all through. Mr. Michael Martin, how are you? Fabulous. And I'm really excited to get things rolling here, too, uh, starting with the metaverse, because this is uh, one of the things we talk about on this show quite a lot. And the, the first one, this this particular news story actually came into us while we were recording our show last week, if as I recall, uh, but we didn't slide it in. Like seconds into the yeah, show. Yeah, <laughs> I know, like seconds in. Um, we didn't actually slide it in, but it's a really intriguing article from the MIT Technology Review on Ultima Online, basically calling it the oldest part or, or the oldest metaverse instant, uh, uh, instance of the metaverse that exists. Um, so Michael... Michael Rowe, I'm fairly sure you played this. So tell us, what is Ultima Online for for those of us too young and fresh faced to remember such a thing? Well, well, the good news is I I played Ultima, but I never played Ultima Online. <laughs> oh, boom! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess I must also be young and fresh faced. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, Ultima came out first, so oh no, I'm old and craggly faced. <laughs> Uh, no, but Ultima Online was uh, the the Ultima world, which was uh, typical dungeon crawler. You had a uh, an inn that you would meet up, you would get your party together, and you'd go on adventures, just like all Dungeons and Dragons games would start back in the day, right? Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was. I, I can't remember. Was this only on CompuServe, or was it on America Online, or or um, what was the other one before then? Prodigy? Yeah, something um, like that. You know, there yeah. are these online services that were competing with what became the commercial internet starting in 95. Uh, and and this started in 97. So it could have been on the, quote, internet, or it could have been a dial-in service or, a, you know, a dial-up service that uh, was just the, the platform. Uh, I never got to play it. Uh, and I... Uh, I did not realize, you know, going back to some of our early episodes of this podcast and its predecessor, I did not realize that Raph Koster was related to Ultima Online. I just remember him from Star Wars Galaxies. Interesting. Ah, it is interesting. I think one of the greatest things about this piece, which is a long read, yes. but it's a really good read, um, occasionally a little bit confusing, but... Uh, is some of the conversation in here about once the company uh, origin had uh, 
this thing out there uh, and it was a multiplayer environment and a persistent space um, and it had a huge number of people at the time, 50,000 people um, getting early access in the beta test, but very quickly realizing that um, governance <laughs> was important <laughs> and suddenly suddenly people needed to sort of, you know, come up with rules and manage the rules and things like that, which I think today is we talked about, for example, things like Lego worlds and, and, and other environments where um, particularly younger people are uh, in there and there's lots of concern and interest in what the rules are, how people are, how people interact, how people are uh, enabled to to um, correspond with one another. And I think um, that whole history of how some of these things, as well as the technical lags, um, come along um, is, is just fascinating to me. Again, as a historian and a sociologist myself, it's really curious. Well, well, and also the the whole idea of the early griefing, right? Where where once once players could attack other players, <laughs> it it completely changed the experience in the game. And uh, one of uh, reading part of it, and they were talking about one of the uh, I guess is one of the developers had like a cloak of invincibility, and he forgot to turn it on when he came into the beta at one time, and a player killed him, which you then yeah. got all their stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, and, yeah, and as the major developer, there is a lot of stuff to be gotten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, it is pretty amazing. But would we would would we call this the metaverse? I mean, I like again, I like the title. Welcome to the oldest part of the metaverse. We 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 have a lot of conversation about interoperability still, um, which I think I think we all think is is important to the future of this environment. Uh, it would be super interesting if somehow down the line a, an instance of Ultima Online existed as that was connected in some way to the rest of the metaverse. I think that would yeah, be fascinating. I mean, but but given given the limitations <laughs> Yeah, but given the limitations and uh interactions that were available back in uh ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine, um how do we how do we think about this? Is this is this something that we would recognise today as a metaverse? It's got some form of three-dimensional, albeit um, isometric, uh, in, in look and feel. But but what but what does it mean? Is it is it but, is, that, but just, is that is that enough for? But just look at look at the number of avatars in the uh, two thousand two Christmas party, right? The holiday party. Um, even now in in World of Warcraft and other more modern uh, MMORPGs, um, having more than, you know, 50 people in a single space is really crowded. And and I'm just amazed that that looks like no NPCs or very few NPCs. And there are a lot of people in that picture. So, so scale and stuff could imply that you could, if this suddenly appeared as a node out on the metaverse, you mm-hmm. could probably scale up pretty well because you're going to, you know, go down to such... Um, rudimentary graphics compared to what you have now. So I think what we're saying is everything old is new again, which is more or less the potential subtitle for this podcast for the last <laughs> that, 10 years. Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> or more. I, I really enjoyed reading this and it was, um, I'm glad that we waited a week to sort of cover it because we had a lot to cover in last week's show. And if you haven't right. listened and we to got last time week's to read show, it. episode 405, <laughs> 
go 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 back go listen back to four, episode four hundred five because it was a great show. But uh, yeah, exactly. We, this long form writing. Yep, and and there's many more points we didn't get even get yeah, a chance. And, to get and, to. and Andy, you you did a bunch of writing this week, didn't you? I've done a bit of writing this week. Um, I got others others to do my work for me in most cases, though. Well, so I, in I, what way? <laughs> I so I shared for fun, really, with uh, with Michael and Michael. Um, I I was um, going back to I, I got access finally to to um, ChatGPT powered Bing, which I haven't found to be super useful. I went back to the OpenAI ChatGPT interface, and uh, I'd already done some some previous conversations with ChatGPT. And I was sort of clicking through to remind myself what I was looking at last year uh, for the kinds of examples I'd, I'd done. Now, I did two things, um, one of which we'll talk about in depth here. One of them was I've been reading about people who've been using it for pair programming. So I got it to help me to write a simple Python um, tool this week. It made a ton of mistakes, <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Um, it was kind of interesting to, to sort of to point them the mistakes out to the code and say, actually, I need this to work in this way, um, and and have it rewrite it, and, and and then for me to retest and say, actually, you know, uh, this bit could be improved in this way. So that was fun. But the other thing I then tried to do was to see what it knew about me, and because I've been a pretty public person on the internet for for twenty plus years, um, it had a lot of potential information so i asked it to write a bio of me now there is more than one person with my name and more than one person with my name in the technology industry um so we narrowed it down but uh yeah we had a bit of back and forth to correct a few misunderstandings i'm still not quite sure i will share a link to the conversation in the show notes still not quite sure where it got a lot of the um, ideas from because I did ask it at one point, you know, where what are your sources? And it said LinkedIn profile um, and other public statements that I've made in, online, and, and that's fine. But it was coming out with some wildly incorrect university education for, for a lot of the conversation um, and finally decided that I'm an, uh, an amazing guitarist and uh, have played many gigs, which um, <laughs> is um, certainly on my bucket list, but is not true. So... Uh, yeah, it, I also quite enjoyed, there's a, se- a section where I sort of say, okay, well, tell me about this guy's personal life instead of giving me a sort of bio. And he says, I can't tell you very much because it's based because I'm, a, I'm an AI and, uh, but, but he's a very private person. And I'm thinking, really, <laughs> really, <laughs> really? <laughs> 20 years on the net. <laughs> really? But again, I mean, look, I, I made, I took my Twitter account private, uh, made it protected, um, three months ago. Um, it was the, the AM, IO model was trained and provided with all this information, uh, I think, 18 months mm-hmm. ago. So how up-to-date it can be in terms of the information. I had to educate it on recent events in my career, um, and it you know, f- remembered them as we went through the conversation. But it was, um, yeah. I can't remember how long it took. It certainly didn't take that long, but I, um, I, I had a bit of fun with it. What what I found interesting was um, really the way you worked it to 
correct itself, right? Um, after seeing yours, I did mine. Uh, and I think for, for people at my company, because I had a couple of their colleagues do it too, it was like, this is the generic answer of what a speaker bio is for somebody who works there. <laughs> They're all uh, emerging tech analysts who all have skills in AI and quantum. <laughs> Um, and, and it was like, well, no, or no, and nope, didn't do that. And and all the education was made up. <laughs> so uh, I, I did find that really interesting. But um, the I, I really liked your approach for the corrections. You could see it Thank you. constantly tweaking to be more and more accurate. Now, as you said, there were still some stuff that were wrong. <laughs> but I mean, I, end, I, it was pretty close. I am considering leaving this show and starting my own podcast called The Andy Show, just so that I can uh, fulfill fulfill ChatGPT's uh, predictions. Uh, uh, um, maybe, or, maybe, or pre-predictions. Yeah, exactly. I it's say. it's for future forecasts. It, it was nice how ChatGPT were so was so um, polite in apologizing for the errors in the previous responses. I mean, I think that I, I haven't tried it, but I was also myself being quite polite and patient yes, with my conversation. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm curious to know if I'd said you're an idiot <laughs> to it, then whether it would have responded in kind. And certainly that's what I think some of the news stories were indicating with I, Bing, for example, before they started to, to, to cut that down. Aren't you glad the developer for Carrot Weather didn't write chat GPT? Yes. <laughs> hey, could be a lot of fun bag. Well. But, but here's, here's what I'm curious about, Andy. Uh, if you were to go back today and start a completely different mm. chat, uh, obviously, you, since you're having an open ID ID and it would know who you are, and in theory, mm. this conversation should be remembered, would it be able to get you all the way down to the bottom and get your same result? Michael says no. Nope. It won't. It does not remember across sessions. And it can't it should learn not. from the I session. haven't tried it. It remembers within the session, but you would be starting a new session even if you log in. So, so with that in place, um, the the evaluations that other companies have made, and we talked about this before too, about don't share any secrets. You know, so a secret here might be <laughs> Andy has not worked at Salesforce. Um, in theory, mm. should be something that is incorporated into the corpus. Right. The, well, so so I had a long discussion actually on Mastodon with with Charles Strauss and others on this topic, <laughs> um, and uh, it was it was really interesting because, as Andy rightly pointed out, uh, the corpus is from eighteen months ago or more, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the the retraining of the model takes so long that they're not retraining this model. They're building new models, right? This is what version three and now three five is on Bing and they're working on four, right? Right. Um, so the problem is not that your data that you provide in the conversationally consumed in the corpus and improve the model, right? Uh, because it can't regenerate the model at that time. The problem is those logs can then be captured and used in the next model. Right, so that's that's why it doesn't remember across sessions. Right, it doesn't learn anything. It keeps it in context during the conversation, but doesn't learn across conversations within this model. So with the, we 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 had a bunch of other links about AI, but um, I think we'll probably have to um, just 
point out that you should go check those out in the show notes. There's uh, a good one here uh, from Wired, uh, a story about um, folks who've been using phishing for um, uh, using ChatGPT for sort of phishing attacks. There's been a, another story this week, which isn't in our show notes at the moment, um, about how Amazon's been flooded with uh, literature that's been created by ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Michael, you wanted to quickly mention um, this this piece about the Gaudi uh, art, I think. Yeah, yeah. So this was um, something from Architectural Digest that um, I, it caught my attention, and and then I'll flip over to Michael because he he actually did something interesting with this. the The notion was that many of uh, Gaudi's architectural um, creations never actually saw the the light of the sun, if you will. Right. So we're all familiar with some of the most famous elements um, that he has he created and that are still under construction, but what if there was more? And so the thought here was using his design language and taking a, a look at what could be generated image wise from this. And Michael, you, you kind of took that upon yourself to do use stable diffusion uh, to give it a go and see what you could do with the various props and try to recreate what was done here in the architectural digest article. Yeah, uh, I, I I wondered how well the uh, stable diffusion tool Diffusion B, which is what I have on my Mac, um, could interpret this. And without using any existing prompts, because they describe the work, they don't describe the prompts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I played around to see how well it would do to create something in a similar style. And it took me about three tries, and I had something that actually looked appropriately Gaudium. Is that how I pronounce it? <laughs> yeah, suppose so. Uh, and uh, it, it was actually kind of neat and, and amazingly fast. So, so his uh, architectural uh, concepts and designs must be well represented in the training di- data. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to think that they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are lots of examples of the apartment buildings, you know, as, as well as the Sagrada Familia and others. So that you could do this. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Now, Andy, you had an interesting uh, update here from an earlier episode, and you were showcasing this to Michael and I about the monocle, uh, a, a small AR yeah. device that you used and you were actually showing us. And it's like, wow, wow, this actually works. So uh, tell us a little more about yeah. it. So my monocle arrived on, I think, Monday this week. So the monocle is a dev kit, which means it's not a consumer product yet. Um, it is uh, a circular, as, as you might imagine from the name Monocle, it's a circular uh, piece of um, plastic, which is clear. It's got three sort of sections to the device. If you if you imagine a circle and divide that uh, horizontally in three, the top, top area has a, uh, a camera, uh, some power, um, a, a, some touch uh, sensors on the top edge and various other sensors and things in there. And in fact, it's got a small screen which shines down through the middle section, which is just a clear piece of plastic that you can look through to the bottom section, which is a prism, which reflects the text um, like a heads up display into into your uh, field of vision, clips onto your existing glasses. They're working on something standalone as well, I believe, um, that doesn't require you to already be wearing glasses. Um, And it is a micro Python powered computer. So a microcomputer, so I guess a microcontroller. So um, right now, when you take put, take it out of its charging case, put it over your glasses um, 
by default, it will just show you a little test pattern, uh, but you can um, program it. I've just started to play around with that. Uh, put lines of text in the in the display, um, take uh, images that's got an overlay function to overlay the what it can see onto the screen and then potentially you could do things like marking that up or, or whatever or transferring the images to your mobile device. Uh, yeah, super fun. I've got it because it's a MicroPython based um, device and I'm looking forward to playing with it. But um, it's not something that I'm expecting in its current form to become some widespread piece of technology. It's really, I mean, I played with Google Glass, but never owned one um, back in the day. Um, we've all been curious about AR and where these things are going. Um, so I'm really just uh, noodling around for fun. Super cool. Well, it'll be interesting to see what you do with it and uh, and new new use cases you come up with it. Now, now speaking of tiny screens, um, and this one is not one that you stick up in your glasses or look through, uh, we have a follow-on article to one that we talked about well, two weeks, three weeks ago about uh, James Brown, in this case, having a Lego brick uh, where the screen embedded in this computer allows you to play Doom on it, which naturally, of course, we're all happy about. So that's super cool. Have a look at that. There's a neat video associated with that. Um, moving right along, and by by moving, I do mean moving, um, there's a, an article from The Verge that is called Humanity, and this looks very much like the game Lemmings, for those of you who played that from Gosh, how long ago was that? Eons ago, 20 years? 25, yeah. 30 years. Yeah. So you, you've got these puzzles and a group of people, and you're trying to get your people uh, to follow what you want them to do and have most it's, of them survive, I suppose. Lemming, Lemming, Lemming was released on the 14th of February, 1991. Whoa. Wow. So a little while back. Over a little, a little while ago. ago. They haven't made a movie yet, though, so which they, they really ought to. If they're making they're making the Tetris uh, Apple TV show, uh, and they've made um, you know the Battleship movie, they really need a Lemmings movie. I thought World War Z was that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael Rowe, you were saying you think this um, game looks pretty cool. Humanity. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to downloading the 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 demo. There's a 10 level demo that you can download on Steam, um, and uh, I I watched the gameplay video. It's really really cool. Uh, I, I the thing that I liked about Lemming was you know solving the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Uh, the mm -hmm. the thing that's really cool about this game is there's a a, a mode where you plan out your entire puzzle movement. That you want to mm -hmm. do, and then just say go, and 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 so just let it run, which is kind of neat. Uh, the other thing that that's a, a nice um, feature, and I think Lemming had this too, uh, is the ability to to build your own levels and share them with friends. Before you share them, though, you actually have to be able to solve your level. Proven, right? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, which I do like because you know I, I remember on on some shareable game maps in various games they were unsolvable. So this is this is kind of a neat feature too. This um this came about because I think it was at the uh, the state of play uh, uh, event that PlayStation hosted this week. Um, it's coming primarily to PlayStation as well as PC, um, but also interestingly for our show the PSVR and PSVR two the the new one that um, that we're about to mention. And yes. um, yeah, uh, I shall have a hopefully have a play at the demo on my Steam Deck. So the game's due to launch in May. 
the demo, if you are listening to our show and have a device that you want to play it on, is only going to be playable until March the 6th, 2023. So if you're listening to the show later, then you either need to pick up the game in May or, uh, yeah, or just wait. Um, Yeah. So I gave a little teaser about the about the PlayStation VR, and this is something else that you were excited about, Mike. Yeah, I I, I saw this, and and uh, I was thinking of our our good friend uh, Epred or uh, Ian Hughes, and he's a, a a big fan of the Gran Turismo games. And well, we, were, we were thinking about we were thinking about him with the previous story as well, because of course he his uh, partner is E Lemming. So yes, yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> and and but. But I know how much uh, he enjoys playing those games, and the uh, PlayStation VR 2 version um, is is coming out, uh, I guess, oh, Wednesday. So it happened uh, earlier this week. <laughs> um, and uh, this this looks great. I, I don't have a, a PS anything, uh, so, so <laughs> I will not be able to play this. Uh, but uh, any type of... Uh, simulation game that people can really get into fascinates me. It's why I, I love flight sim, right? Uh, and uh, I've, there was a there was an online article, and I, I can't find it now. Uh, but for like uh, a driver's cage, an inexpensive driver's cage that you would hook up uh, a steering wheel and use your PS VR to headset in to play this with uh etc and it just i i can't wait to hear the review of this once uh once ian plays it because i know he's gonna play it. he's got to i haven't i haven't read any reviews of the psvr2 yet i mean i gather that, it, that it's come out um but and i gather that the verge it, uh, has a link to their review in the in this story so i will go back and look at it i've been a bit distracted this week but uh yeah, it certainly sounds like um, they've got a pretty solid slate of um, launch games. So it'll be interesting to see what people's reactions are. One of the technical features I'm excited about in, in, described in this story is the um, the foveated rendering um, using eye tracking to decide where the player is looking in, in through the VR lens and then render the area in high definition. So uh, improving performance that way, that sounds really cool. That is neat, and and just linking ourselves back to front again is uh, they're also claiming to add superhuman racing AI racing agent, <laughs> which is their direct quote Crazy. too. So, um, we, we've talked about things like that before about uh, even racing against yourself and the ghost of yourself, so that you can see what's kind of been happening and where you go from there. So I, that caught my attention too. Cool stuff. Well, that brings us, I, I see, right on the money when it comes to time. So please join us again for next week. Give us the links. See what you're looking at. Have you managed to get ChatGPT to respond in a way that was weird? Uh, have you played a new game that you find interesting? Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you have a Bionicle, since we've talked about monocles, that you'd like <laughs> to talk about? If you do, we are the right podcast for you. So drop us a line and we will be delighted to include them in the next show right here on gamesatwork.biz. And tell your friends. Oh, yeah, that would be good too. Tell your friends. <laughs> on Mastodon. <laughs> sure. Why not? See you, everybody. All right. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to games at work.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. 
We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork underscore biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Music